0: on the way. Good! Yeah. Garland spins down the lane and lane it in! This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan, the voice of Fox Sports Radio, the voice of the Dan Patrick Show, Colin Cowherd, amongst others. But really, the important thing here is the NBA season is upon us, and this is the first Fear the Fro edition of the regular season. Tonight, the games kick off the 76ers in Boston to take on the Celtics and the Warriors ring ceremony incoming with the Lakers in the house. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook get to witness what it is to be a champion last season rather than the disappointing results that they had. And then the Cavaliers up in Canada kicking off this season tomorrow night. But I wanted to get a podcast in because we've spent a lot of time on preseason over the weekend. Of course, we recapped the end of the preseason, we got to see Isaac Okoro string together a second. Excellent game. The return of Evan Mobley. Solid game from Lavert, Solid game from Osman. In general, what I took away from the preseason was the small forward position. It's yet to be seen. Now, this could be recency bias. But if you were to ask me where we stand as of right now, having witnessed every preseason game, I think after game one, I would have said Lavert. I think after game two, I would have said, eh, probably Levert. I think after game three, I would have said, hold up. Maybe the better situation here is to roll Okoro as the starting three and bring Lavert in, still logging starter minutes, mind you, but off of the bench as a guy who can kind of facilitate the offense with Neto in the second unit. And after game four, I would double down on that point. I think Okoro has made some great strides in aggressiveness, albeit that's in preseason. That doesn't mean it will manifest in the regular season. But excellent article by Chris Fedor about all the work he's put in on his outside shot. And one thing I think we saw was that he didn't settle for the outside shot. A lot of that last year was he took what they gave him and he made a respectable clip of three-point shots. Increased his percentage by 6% put him in the mid 30s which is respectable I mean LeBron on his career is in the mid 30s so it's certainly not a liability but that was discredited largely over the course of the offseason because all these advanced stats came out saying oh nobody was further away nobody was being guarded with more space between him and the defender than Isaac Okoro those were wide open looks and that's smoke and mirrors essentially was the implication that he can't shoot. And I'm certainly not saying he's a dead-eye shooter, but I do think our sample of data is small. He's a guy who hasn't been in the league long, and he took a massive leap from year one to year two. So I don't think you can just throw it away. The truth probably lies somewhere in the middle, but if we're to believe what we read in this Chris Fedor article, which there's no reason why we would not, I love these kind of articles, by the way. He talked about some of the technology Isaac Okoro specifically, but NBA teams use to improve the shot of their players and help them work on skills, which may be deficiencies. And in Isaac Okoro's case, they had him work with this machine called the Noah machine, which is based on a reference to the biblical arc. And the goal is the optimal angle for the ball to go through the net. Is at a 45 degree angle? So after you shoot these shots, the, rim or the machine whatever you want to call it spits out the angle that you're at and it's all about repetition and improving the arc on his shot because Akoro has traditionally had a flat shot and he put in tons of work the article references 200 made threes before a lot of the guys would even get to practice in the summer and it's encouraging. You can't go away from that feeling because he was sort of the forgotten man this summer, except in the context of trade talks when it came to the Mitchell rumors and, oh, maybe this is a guy we could use as a young piece for a team that would be rebuilding like a Utah Jazz. But in the end, he stayed. Abaji went. And if Okoro is able to give you the defense, I mean, he showed flashes in that Magic game where he was out on an island with uh and locked him up i mean especially towards the end of the game and of course you would expect him he has a distinct speed advantage but he was very physical kept him from getting where he wanted to get and i think all in all these last two games have showed you exactly what isaac okoro can do to impact games now one thing i've always loved about osman is he has one skill which is not an ample supply on this particular Cavalier roster, and that is the moment he gets the ball, he pushes the pace. And he had a a couple moments in that Magic game where he got out and he ran, and while I wouldn't say one small forward rose highly over the others in that game, it was a pretty balanced attack between Levert and Okoro and Osman. Levert, excuse me, Okoro rather, he showed that he has one specific skill which we don't see enough of on this Cavalier team, and that's putting the ball on the floor and going towards the rim. Now, we've got a couple of guys who can do that, but they do it a lot more with finesse. And Isaac seems like if he can get a step, putting on weight, putting on strength will definitely help him finish more around the rim or create contact and get to the foul line. And we can get hung up on things like the amount of attempts he's going to take and how well the, the percentages don't matter because he just isn't aggressive on offense and it allows teams to slack off of him. That may all be partially true. There's truth in all those statements. But if he takes advantage of when guys are too far off of him and he makes threes, and he's showing this preseason that he's he looks like he's made a marked improvement in taking advantage of what guys play up on him by putting the ball on the floor, going to the rim. We saw him finishing with both hands. We saw him working on euro steps, creating contact. Those are what more could you really ask for? I do think he got slightly better as a rebounder in this preseason. We've seen him make more of a concerted effort to get to the glass and while I would say. I wouldn't put one ahead of the other, Levert ahead of Okoro. I think it's really just a matter of preferences because I said this on Twitter at Fear the Fro Pod. One of my feelings about this is when you get in these situational battles, there's a lot of talk about, well, I mean, people put themselves in a camp. You're either, I want Levert as the starter, I want Okoro as the starter. But we're in this situation where both guys are going to log starter minutes both these guys will see minutes at the 2. There'll be times when they're both playing alongside each other. There'll be times where we opt to roll out a Coro, Lavert, Neto, they're all playing minutes with the second unit simultaneously depending on how we are, you know, stagnating the minutes of Donovan Mitchell, the minutes of Darius Garland. So, they're both going to get plenty of burn. Possibly, you know, in the 30 minutes a game range for both these guys. So, I don't I'm not concerned With who starts and who comes off the bench, I'm concerned with one thing specifically, which is how can we get the most out of both guys? I think Levert has shown, and he's said as much in this offseason and at media day. Throughout his career, he has played both as a starter and off the bench. I think he can be significantly impactful in either role. Whereas Isaac Okoro, I do think we will get the most out of him Playing alongside the starters because they will keep defenses honest. Anyone is going to have more luck going to the rim if there's other people who defenders don't want to slack off of. And Isaac may need that space that's created by the gravity of guys like Garland and Mitchell and Mobley and Allen all around him. So, as of today, opening day, NBA season, Tuesday, I'm saying that I want a Coro to start at the three. And I'm very excited that as the preseason wore on, the other takeaway, I will say, for the fringe roster spots is it seems like Diakite will be back in the mix, signing him back on a deal after letting him go for some maneuvering that was happening to get guys into the Cavalier system. So, I came away feeling pretty good about Okoro, feeling like, alright, Lavert's healthy, he seems to be in good shape, we'll see how his presence is made known with this Cavalier team as time goes on. But I'm certainly encouraged. And with Mobley back, that's the key thing here because that is a game-changer defensively. I thought Lavert's effort was excellent defensively. We know what we get out of coral back there. Certainly, some strides can be made by both Mitchell and Garland, but I think Mitchell showed in doses that he is definitely an aggressive defender. He's not a perfect defender, but he made some blocks. He made some recoveries. And Lavert against the Magic, was all over the passing lanes creating steals. I think he had four steals in the first half. So that alone, I couldn't be more hyped for tomorrow's game against the Raptors. Because this is a team which a lot of people, they, I mean, they were basically neck and neck last year. And on a personal level personnel level i should say mobley and barnes were essentially parallel players rookies who made massive contributions and of course scotty barnes winning the rookie of the year i would love nothing more than for the cavaliers to go into toronto for mobley to show out and for them to set the tone for a season so that's how i feel about the cavaliers but the other thing i wanted to hit in this podcast is this is my last opportunity to get some things on tape to put it out clarifying where I stand on basically my predictions for this year and the things I expect to see, the things I like, and the storylines that I don't think are getting enough credit. One thing I will say, let, let's take a look at the win odds for Vegas, what they're predicting teams will do and where they expect the Cavs to land. Now, in the East, the order on how they predict people to finish are Celtics as the one, Bucks as the two, Sixers as the three, Nets as the four, Heat as the five, and Cavaliers as the six seed with a 47.5 game win total. I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that mainly because I know last season we were playing in the first half of the season incredible ball and we were up around the two or three seed and then we fell back as the season wore on and the injuries mounted, but... Of the teams above the Cavs, do I think some of them could fall below the Cavs? Sure. I mean, you just look at the Nets, and that's an immediate pick to say, sure, if everything goes well, they could easily outplay the Cavaliers. I mean, the personnel is there for them to do it, presumably. Two very good players, albeit very inconsistent, and you don't know what you can get from them attitude-wise or health-wise. But then again, the Cavaliers didn't say super healthy. The Heat? They've regressed a little bit in the Vegas odds. They, Vegas has them finishing one game ahead of the Cavaliers. And just behind the Cavaliers, we have the Hawks, we have the Raptors, and the Bulls took a pretty dramatic fall compared to what was an incredible first half of the season last year, Vegas predicting them to finish with 41.5 wins. So the storylines in the East, the over and under tabulations that I'm not super high on, well— for one, they have the Celtics winning the East. Could I see that happening? Sure. But them having the best odds in all of the NBA? I don't know about that. I mean, the Warriors are only 51 and a half games, and they've got the Celtics at 53 and a half. The Warriors just re-signed all of their people. The Warriors have a bunch of young guys like Wiseman and Moody and Kuminga, who presumably will only get better. They didn't lose much. They lost, you know, uh, Gary Payton. I mean, I don't think it's significant losses to the point where the Celtics seemed like they were going pretty well this summer and towards the end, it just sort of seemed like it's in shambles. Now, they signed Blake Griffin to fill the void of Gallinari, who's out for the season. Robert Williams out 8 to 12 weeks to start the year here. And of course, all the drama around their head coach, but they still predict them to finish ahead of the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks, I think it's one of those out of... Out of sight, out of mind things where they were hurt. And so they fell in the playoffs last year. But when Middleton gets back in the fold, I think they'll put together a very good season. I don't I don't object strongly to any of the things that, that Vegas predicted here. I mean, the teams they have towards the bottom, the worst team they're predicting in the East is the Pacers at 23 and a half wins, just below the Magic. And the Pistons, now, if I was to say which things I think could prove to be wrong or right, I think the Pistons could be similar to the Cavs last year and that you may see them well outperform expectations. If I recall, Vegas predicted the Cavs to win like 26 and a half games somewhere in that neighborhood last year. And of course, we were pushing, well, double that. So um, I don't know that I think the Pistons... Well, if they if anyone's gonna make a rise, Kate Cunningham was incredible at the end of last season. I loved what they did in the off season: adding Boyan Bogdanovich, adding Ivy, another very good rookie, adding uh, the center Jalen Duran from uh, the draft there, and then improvements, of course, from Sadiq Bay, guys like uh, Isaiah Beef Stew. <laughs> I mean, that is a team that has a solid roster and a very competent GM, and you never know. They're maybe not done dealing, but a lot of room for growth in them because so much of their core is young players. So you could see a leap from them. I also think that the Wizards at 35 and a half games, I'm not super high on them. Porzingis, Beal, could they be okay? Sure. But that's asking for a lot considering Porzingis' health and their rookie, Johnny Davis, out of Wisconsin, had a rough summer league and uh, doesn't look great so far. I mean, he could, he could bring it around, but I, I don't know that I believe that they'll be as high as that. The Hornets have taken a hit in Vegas clearly because it's sort of a disaster right now with the injuries to LaMelo and then not knowing what's going on with Miles Bridges. Book Knight now in trouble. I saw he had a run-in with the law, but they could outperform that. I suppose it's just it's hard to to look at these odds. I don't really take much issue with the top. I think the Sixers could win the East. If I was to say the the team that I think could outperform their win expectations at the very top in that upper echelon, I think the Sixers could. I like what they did adding PJ Tucker. We got to see him twice in the preseason. PJ Tucker is a difference maker in terms of opening up guys for these outside looks when they faced us. He sets some great screens. He doesn't demand the ball. Harris is still going to get a fair amount of shots, even if Maxi takes a big leap. And based on what we saw out of Maxi, I don't know why anyone with the Cavaliers would look at that team and say that they don't have room to improve. Because while, yes, Harden is older than a lot of players uh, in the NBA, he lost a ton of weight. He looks more motivated. The pay cut he took allowed them to bring in some complimentary pieces. I like Melton. I think P.J. Tucker's a good fit there. Uh, they also brought in Daniel House. And... And on top of that, Embiid's an MVP level player, MVP level player. And Tyrese Maxey could well be amongst some of the top guards in the East. I mean, he was a guy who was vying for most improved player last year. And I think we're going to see even more from him as this season weighs on. So I think there's a distinct chance that the Sixers could finish ahead of the Celtics, maybe even the Bucks, depending on how things go. The Heat, I think that's right about where they should be. The Nets, very volatile. But the Cavs at 47.5 wins, I think that's fair. I think, realistically, the Cavs finish somewhere between the 4 and 6 seed, depending on how things go this season. Certainly, they could do better, but I just need to see it in a regular season before I look at adding Donovan Mitchell as so much of a game-changer to the wins and losses. I think that's a move we made more for the sake of when the spotlight's on in the playoffs— we want a guy with a proven track record who we know can consistently deliver, and he's had a great run of that so far in his career. So, But over the course of the regular season, sometimes depth, like three pieces and Markinen and Sexton and Abaji sometimes depth becomes a bigger issue because we saw that last year. We piled up so many injuries, maybe we wouldn't have had such a hard time in the second half of the season if we had more competent bodies. And we've sort of gone all in on this Mitchell thing, so... I'm stoked about our starting lineup, don't get me wrong, but I I will miss Markkinen, Uh, and that's partly because we have this unresolved small forward situation, and I think he brings a skill that's very valuable, which is length and shooting, so we'll get to see more of that, and of course, some of that void could be filled with guys like Dean Wade, and if Okoro keeps taking a step forward with his shooting, he's he's not in Markkinen's echelon, but... I'm optimistic. I think we're a pretty deep team. I like some of our fringe signings. I like Neto thus far, so far in the preseason. So, But if Vegas is saying we're going to land at six, then you go to the West, and they have the order is the Suns and the Clippers, both with 52.5 wins. The Warriors just below that at 51.5. Then the Nuggets, the Timberwolves, the Grizzlies. They're predicting, after the season Memphis just had, they're predicting the Timberwolves will finish better than the Grizzlies. If I'm a Grizzly fan, I'm feeling a little bit disrespected here after the year that they put together. One that they did it largely without John Morant uh, for huge stretches of the season. And of course, that's well chronicled how good they were when he wasn't on the floor. After the Grizzlies, they have the Dallas Mavericks at 48.5, so they think the Mavericks will be just above the Cavs In the standings, and then the Lakers coming in below the Cleveland Cavaliers with 45 and a half wins. So, biggest not that high on the changes they made, and certainly I think it's another one of those wait and see moments. The Pelicans right there with the Lakers, the Blazers slightly below that, and then the bottom, the very worst teams in the league, the Rockets and the Spurs, which, and of course, the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, a lot of teams going to be in the running for Victor Wenbayama. So, predictions on on this season i let's talk rookie of the year so vegas odds have Benchero as a heavy favorite keegan murray and jaden ivy second place then we have jabari smith down in houston and mathurin in indiana my favorite is currently the man who's sixth place in the odds and that's uh eason tari eason down in houston i love this kid i think he's a stat sheet stuffer One of the better rebounding small forwards you're going to see. Good defensive presence. But most importantly, I think there's a huge minutes void and a prioritization towards young players in Houston, which is going to allow him to immediately assume a large role. Now, certainly, Banchero, I think he's excellent. I think he showed that when he played against us. He's got a lot of tools in the arsenal, and he's going to be a focal point. But I don't want to just pick the favorite. I could see him winning. I could see Keegan Murray winning. I could see Ivy Murray, or I could see Jaden Ivy winning. I don't think Jabari Smith Jr. will win. I think Eason will prove to be basically as impactful as him as a rookie in some ways, maybe not in the scoring column, but in other ways. And that will diminish Smith's case for rookie of the year. There are outside shot guys who I personally like Jalen Williams in Oklahoma City a lot, I like Shaden Sharp. I think that he has shown glimpses when I saw him play. I've only seen him play one game in the preseason, I'll be honest. But I liked what I saw, put up 27 points. So those would be the guys that I think uh, need to be looked out for. Outside shot guys, I suppose I liked a lot of what I saw from A.J. Griffin. I think Malachi Branham is going to have a chance to get a lot of minutes. I just don't trust San Antonio to really prioritize rookies, even in a rebuild situation. They just, they've brought everyone along so slowly from, from Vassal to, well, I mean, just look at how it's played out with Trey Jones is finally starting to crack the rotation now. It's just a hard place because they platoon so many guys. So, my sleeper pick, I guess, would be Eason down in Houston. Dyson Daniels will be interesting to watch, but he's just not the score you would need to win Rookie of the Year. But I am excited about him with the Pelicans as well. And Abaji. We'll see. I I think there's a lot of wing depth in Utah that will prevent him from really having the kind of impact that he would need to, to be in the running. But you never know. Guys could get traded. Clarkson could get moved. Conley could get moved. At which point, he would have a much bigger role there alongside Colin Sexton and Markkinen in in Utah. But my outside shot guys would be Eason and then Jalen Williams in Oklahoma City. The heavy favorites is Benchero. And I think he'll be great too. But those—that's my feelings on the rookie of the year odds, guys. As far as MVP goes, I would say I think it's going to be Luca, or I think it's going to be Embiid. Those would be the two guys that I think. I think Embiid is due. I think he was incredible last year. I think a case could be made that he could have won it last year. And I think that the Sixers are going to have a monster season. So I think if the stats are there alongside the performance, then he's going to win MVP this year. But certainly, Luka is that guy that fills the stat sheet in so many ways that if the addition of Christian Wood and what they've done in the offseason makes them a better team, despite losing Jalen Brunson to the Knicks, then I think that you could see this be the year finally that Luka wins the MVP. So those are kind of my league-wide predictions. In terms of the Cavaliers, here is what I would say. I don't think that I think we'll have one all-star this year. I'm hesitant to say that it's going to be Evan Mobley, because I don't think that it is. I don't think Allen will make the all-star game. Maybe not again. We're just too deep. And he was the benefactor of multiple things last year. You saw huge absences from guys at his position in Van Adebayo and even uh, Siakam, who would have got in there as a forward, who plays very good defense. And he scores much more. He's a higher priority within their team in terms of creating offense, creating for others, piling up counting stats. Now, I don't care particularly if Jared Allen makes another all-star game. He's here to do a specific thing. He does it incredibly well, and he's a great player, great value signing. But we have so much more talent. It's hard to imagine a scenario where the two guys who I could see making an all-star game This season would, of course, be Mitchell and Garland, but they may mute each other's stats to the point where only one of them makes it. Somebody's going to get in if the Cavs play as well as they're expected, which is 47 and a half wins, as I said, in Vegas. If they're in the upper part of the East, you know, the top five or six seeds and somebody is scoring over 20 points a game, then yeah, that guy's going to get in to the all-star game. I would expect it would be Mitchell. That's, of course, the path of least resistance here. I think Garland has proven that he's also clearly an all-star level player. Not a replacement all-star level player, but a legitimate all-star level player. Mobley, if I'm wrong on this, and he's in the all-star game, then we're probably having an incredible season. Because even though statistically he didn't do much in this last game back against the Magic, he looked aggressive, he looked strong... He did not look intimidated in the least and that's what I loved about him last year as he came in and was immediately challenging guys who are NBA level players from day 1 and if his offense takes a step forward look out of course he is capable and he will make an all-star game at some point I just don't know that this season will be it now from a production standpoint I've already kind of alluded to the fact that I think you're going to see slight regressions in counting stats from Darius Garland but I think his efficiency will again increase uh, especially in the later part of games which was one of the criticisms of our system was that just so much was on his shoulders that he tended to appear to burn out or tire as the game went on I think having Mitchell will be excellent in that regard now an increase in efficiency would be great for Mitchell but I'm not confident enough to go out and put that on paper at this point um, I think some. I think it could go one of two ways. Having more talent around him might make him show a little bit more discretion, take easier shots, increase those numbers. But I don't know that that's really what we brought him in here for. I feel like they brought him in here because they appreciate that this is a guy who can create something for himself even when things break down. And if that's the case, if we're using him as a guy to kind of break us out of funks when – you know the ball movement slows or when the defense ratchets up then I'm not sure that we'll see much of an increase in efficiency but certainly we don't have to if we just have another great option out there without Sexton most of the year if he's coming in we get to replace what production we would have got out of a Colin Sexton with him and certainly he's a more dynamic player a little bit bigger frame I mean the ceiling is there we'll just need to see how it plays out but I love the potential ahead of us to get balanced contributions from our four core guys in that starting lineup and of course if kevin love continues to play near the same level that he was last year which was third place in the sixth man of the year competition then we're going to be in a great position i like the depth we've added i do like a lot of guys we have whose roles are kind of undefined at this point there's moments where i think okay dean wade osman Lamar Stevens they can all provide valuable minutes off the bench having Lopez there certainly that's nice as a backup big option because we had a lot of injuries there but I'm I'm well documented throughout the preseason Diakite looked fantastic Knocked down another three that he pulled up with no hesitation in that magic preseason game. I think that that is a quality signing to add to the end of the roster. And certainly, he's not going to be playing a ton. But if we suffer a bunch of injuries similar to how we did last year, I feel pretty good about the depth of this team. Neto is a smart player. He can hold down the fort until Rubio gets back. And then having that rotation of guards and wings, it's pretty damn good to put along two elite bigs in Mobley and Jared Allen. So... Could we finish at 47 and a half? Sure. But I think our ceiling is somewhere around the three seed. So that would be what I say on the individual production. As far as Mobley goes last year, he averaged in the range of, you know, 15 points, seven or eight rebounds. I would expect him to jump closer to 18, 19 points a game, eight or nine rebounds. And which is good you know that I'd be content with that I don't need a massive leap we have a ton of talent around him I think eventually he is going to be an all-star level player that it is proven to be not only one of the best defenders in the league but one of the better offensive bigs in the league he's not there yet on the offensive end but with more strength with more work with more confidence and with getting the respective of officials he's going to prove even harder to stop now Free throws. That is something that I hope we see early rookie season Evan Mobley there and not what happened towards the end of the season where he seemed to get in his head a little bit and start missing some, some shots at the line. That'll be big. So those are my feelings on the preseason. I cannot wait for the games tonight. And of course, I can't wait for the opening game. I really want this win against the Raptors. I really do. I know the home opener isn't until we take on Chicago, and that's on a back-to-back, so that's going to be a tough game. But this budding rivalry between Barnes and Mobley and even just the general disdain, I see much of Raptor's Twitter talk about the Cavaliers about. Like they're somehow in different classes. Oh, well, no, we're much better at developing players and we're a consistently good franchise and blah, blah, blah. It's like we smoked them four years in a row. I just want a little less chatter because... I don't think that there's a big tangible difference between these two rosters. I don't look at the Raptors and say they're going to be distinctly better than the Cavs. In fact, Vegas and me believe it'll be the other way around, which is the Raptors will be looking up at the Cavs in the standings if all goes according to plan. Now, I do think the Raptors perhaps overlooked a little bit. I mean, Siakam was great in the second half of the season. Who knows what we see from Barnes? He could take a significant leap forward. But I do think these two teams are going to be there. For a while, in that same general area, and that is a vocal fan base. And one that has suffered a lot at the hands of the Cleveland Cavaliers, mostly due to LeBron James. But I hope a new era is ushered in, where Evan Mobley, with a chip on his shoulder, takes it upon himself to humiliate that team to the best of his abilities. And with an added component to our team in Mitchell... I hope we overwhelm them the way that we did just before Christmas last year when we nearly beat them by 50 points. That was a fantastic day with much of the team injured, but Dean Wade out there slinging it. Oh, it was magical. And I hope for more of the same on opening night. So there will be another Fear the Fro podcast. I will be be back. Oh, and just to touch on a couple uh, NBA news things. I got into Draymond a lot last podcast. I think you know where I stand on that. I don't think the Warriors handled it right, but I do like that immediately after this, they've extended two very important pieces in Wiggins and Poole. Wiggins signing for just over $100 million on a four-year deal. I think that's a very good signing, quality signing. He proved to be an impactful player. If you were to believe the dumb NBA fan base that voted for All-Stars, an All-Star starter. That is a barking contract. Now, of course, He didn't warrant that recognition last year, but still a very good piece and very good in the playoffs. So to have him, to have Poole locked up after what just went down, considering they probably needed to make it up to him a little bit that they more or less didn't stand up for him when Draymond socked him in the face. And now it will be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I will say this. I hate Draymond as a person, a human, and a player, but I will acknowledge that as a player – I don't think that this is going to do anything to this Warriors team. I think they're going to come out of the gate, play well. I like their addition of Jermichael Green. I think that their younger players are going to continue to get better. And I don't think that there's going to be a championship hangover. I think they're going to be right there. And Because Steph knows. His window is closed. He's an older player. Klay's getting on the older side. Draymond's getting on the older side. We don't even know what will happen with Draymond long term. So I do think that it's going to be washed away in short order in golden state and tonight if i was to predict the outcome i'm going sixers i'm going warriors that's who i think's winning tomorrow night Cavs over raptors and i will be back to throw a party and run laps around this podcast studio aka bedroom after that happens i'm bob schmidt this is the fear of the fro podcast thank you for listening if you like what you heard please rate subscribe I appreciate all of that. I appreciate all of you who have continued to download this even after I disrespectfully took a summer away like Kevin Love did a couple of years ago. I was just out living my best life. so fear the fro podcast back for the 2022-2023 cavalier championship season i said what i said this has been fear the fro if you like the show subscribe and rate wherever you listen our guy bob schmidt always gets a reaction out of it join us next time for more Cavs and nba coverage